Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. Well, hey guys, welcome back. Another show, another week. Returning to form here after my very brief departure this past weekend when I posted the interview that I did with Matthew Arder with the costumer for the Facts of Life, the last three seasons, the wonderful Diana Eden. I'm really, really proud of it. So uh, have a listen to it if you haven't yet. And uh, in the process, maybe consider going over to Amazon and buying Ms. Eden's book and help support another struggling artist, as so many of us are. But uh, let's get moving on to this week. This week, my guest is Ben Pateshinsky. Ben is an actor, singer, improviser, funny guy, fellow theme park performer, and uh, he's a big Instagram presence. He's got quite a following there and uh, a, a large contingent of devoted fans. He's known as Equity Ben on Instagram, and uh, you can follow him and check out his stuff there if you want to. He and I met doing a production of Forbidden Broadway at the Winter Park Playhouse about six years ago, and it was it was a dream show for me, but it was also a dream production with the cast and crew, and that's where we met, and it has been a love fest since, and damn it, I want to work with him again. Hopefully, someday. Ben and I watched Season 5, Episode 13, called The Chain Letter, and the original air date was December 28th of 1983. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Ben Pateshinsky. Ladies and gentlemen, broadcasting via Zoom all the way from his Equity Ben Bunker... And if you don't believe me, just look around. He has his face and his name wallpapered on every surface in his home, I believe. It is none other than Ben Patashinsky! Hi, hi, hi! Welcome! Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to finally be doing an episode. I am so thrilled. Also, I've been wanting to do this since, well, since the very beginning, because I knew you before we before I ever started doing uh, the podcast. And I just, I want to showcase every amazing, incredible performer I've ever seen or crossed paths with. And you definitely are uh, one. Well, you're an angel. And Orlando is just full of them. I mean, well, we're full of it, period. But we have so much talent here in Orlando. Uh Yes. I just read an article that New Yorkers are leaving New York City by the droves, and I have a feeling that a lot of them will end up coming down here just because without performance opportunities, why not be in a cheaper location? Oh, yeah, sure. And we know people. We know many people who are uh, locals, technically, who call Orlando their home, but they work at regional theaters across the country and in New York on the Broadway. That that could be a thing. It would suck. Because that's more competition for us. Yes, absolutely. I've given up about competition. I am doing the make your own work track right now. Oh, yeah. 
That's a that's a good thing to do, and certainly in the the current times with the wonderful pandemic stuff, any work you can make or find is is a good thing. I kind of feel like I own a restaurant and I'm working over for high school girls. <laughs> well, I think that's the perfect segue to talking about the facts of life. Now, did you have any relationship with the show? Did you ever watch it when you were growing up in your younger years? Well, I'm a queen, right? So didn't we all watch shows like this? I grew up on shows like this and Get Smart and Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie. Mm -hmm. I watched all of those shows. If mm -hmm. it was on a rerun, I most likely have seen it. I quote shows and people look at me like I have 17 heads. <laughs> Unless you're with people like me of, we're of our own tribe and then... That's literally our entire conversation is just quoting TV shows. But this show specifically was uh -huh. something that kind of came out of the blue. I mean, you said, do you want to do an episode? And it kind of slapped me in the face. And I thought, I haven't thought about facts of life in years. And it just all came running back to me. Uh-huh. Well, cool. Um, I watched this, of course, the first go-round. So this, for me, it's my childhood. You're a, you're a bit younger than I am, so... Are we uh, spilling I, ages? Is that what's happening? I did not watch it in 1979. I was not born yet. Okay. I was going to say, you need not divulge your age. That is not a requirement of the show. But anyway, we watched season five, episode 13, called The Chain Letter. The original air date was December 28th, 1983. It's almost New Year's Eve. I was nine months old. <laughs> what? Amazing. So what I'm hearing is you were totally watching. I was watching. It was probably what put me to sleep. My parents are awful. Not oh, yeah. great parents. Not great parents. <laughs> well, this was written by Bob Meyer and Bob Young. They uh, are also program consultants in the credits. And of the episodes they wrote for The Facts of Life, this is the second out of 10 total that they wrote. And then uh, last time I was talking about them, it's uh, I, I talked about the fact that later on in season seven, in the over our heads years, uh, they're going to become producers again, but not necessarily always writers. And the two of them will go on to write both together and separately, varyingly, shows like My Two Dads, Roseanne, 227, Sybil, Happily Divorced, Mike and Molly, and Melissa and Joey. Well, and I'm sure this episode was in all of those series because this oh, yeah. episode felt so contrived. It's, I felt yes. like he just copied and pasted an old episode of something else and just threw these characters into the show. Yeah, it could have been a Leave it to Beaver. It could have been a Brady Bunch. Yeah. The show was directed by Asad Kalada, who is pretty much the in-house uh, director who did most of the episodes and pretty much all of them last season and this season. So before we get into sort of the more microscopic dissection and discussion of the show, Ben, I us uh, usually like to ask my guests if I may put you on the spot, would you provide a one to two sentence synopsis of the episode we just watched just to give an, a, a broad overview like a listing you might see in a TV guide? Yes. 
And for some reason, I can't think of the character's name because I keep wanting to say Mrs. Lovitz, and I know that's not right. (laughs) Mrs. Garrett. Mrs. Garrett. Mrs. Garrett anxiously awaits... um, What's the word I'm looking for? A health inspector? Yes. Uh, Mrs. 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 Lovitz anxiously awaits a health health inspector because of uh, uh, strange meat pies... (laughs) Protruding from her restaurant while the four girls are dealing with a chain letter mix up. <laughs> and what is it that you you texted me when I, I texted you earlier to remind you and I said, I did tell you to watch the episode ahead of time, right? And your response was, yes, it was a rough one. It was a rough one. And the fact of the matter is, you know, you watch old shows like Bewitched and Get Smart. And you, and I mean, when I was a kid, they brought me so much joy. And recently, mm-hmm. I actually went back, since we have all this extra time on our hands, and I thought, I'm going to watch Perfect Strangers because I – do we curse on this show? Yes, please. I fucking loved Perfect Strangers. Oh. I loved that show. And Bronston Pinchot, I was like, I got to catch this. And I watched one episode and I thought this was shit. And then I thought maybe all the old television that I loved is shit. And come to find out, maybe, David, it is shit. Mm. I will say it was um, uh, Mrs. Lovitz. What, what's her name? Her, the actress's Mrs. Garrett. Name? Mrs. Lovitz, the actress's name. <laughs> Charlotte Ray. She was great in this episode because I don't feel like, you know, she obviously plays this over-the-top caricature of what 1970s, 1980s television was meant to be. But she still is very endearing, very sweet, and you can see moments that were very real for her. And I know that sounds stupid, but at least I cared about her character. She at least has a lot to play. Yes. Lately, she's been kind of extraneous to the show as the girls are getting older and able to kind of handle their own problems and uh, counsel each other. She's been slowly kind of drifting off into the background, and it was nice to see an episode where she was more front and center. Well, when you read the title of the episode to me, which I didn't even realize was the title, I was kind of taken aback because the center focus of this episode, the A plot, isn't about the letter at all, and it's all about this health inspection. So I think it's interesting that the writers chose the subplot, the B plot, to title the episode because that almost almost has nothing to do with the entire episode. Yeah. And and the fact that they the titles have been that plain many times before. So we've had, you know, the chain letter. We just had the Christmas show, which was preceded <laughs> in October by the Halloween show. Oh. So the fact is it would have not been off brand for them to have just called it the health inspector. Because that's really what the show was about. FYI, I freaking love the health inspector. Oh, he was awesome. He's <laughs> great. <laughs> who is the? Who we will is talk he? Is more. He? Okay, okay. <laughs> we will talk more about him when we get there. We're going to start doing this sort of microscopic dissection uh, as we go now and go through the plot. So we begin the show in Edna's Edibles. And everybody is working. We've got customers in the store. My first question that went through my head, where is Christmas? I'm watching this on December 28th of 1983. They had the store decked out for Christmas last week, and it looked gorgeous. Isn't that weird how sitcoms do that? Because they had these Christmas, these Halloween episodes, and you would get it just for that episode, and then it would disappear. Mm Mm-hmm. 
They don't do that and, anymore. At least now they lead up to it and they have subplots where they're buying Christmas gifts and things like that. But back yeah. then, no, it was as clear as day. This is our Christmas episode and we will never talk about Jesus or Santa Claus ever again. Exactly, because in reruns, that way it makes it more generic. But here is the um, other thing. I did a bit, a bit of research here. Uh, the shows are broadcast out of order frequently. So they tape them in one order, but they'll broadcast them differently. Even though this was the 13th episode of season five, Ben, this was actually the fourth show that they taped for the season. So... If you think about it, what we have here is uh, this season was the beginning of Edna's Edibles. So uh, episodes one and two were the two-part episode where Mrs. Garrett leaves Eastland. Mrs. Garrett opens up her store and we have the girls all move in, everybody except Blair. Then the third episode is the one where Blair pledges the sorority, but then decides she doesn't want to live with the sorority. She wants to live and with the girls and have the team be back together. So this, uh, as of the taping of this episode, this is really the first time they are all now functioning in the same house and working together as, as the show is going to be. And um, so that's number one, why we don't have Christmas decorations. And uh, secondly, that's why <laughs> we know this was videotaped in August, because they walk in the French doors, leave the door open, and no one is wearing a coat, even though it is Peekskill, New York, right before New Year's. Well, and also there's a whole plot about one of the girls running for class something or other. and Miss School Spirit. Miss School Spirit. Was. So why would you have a vote at, at Christmas? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that would be, that would make sense for it to be a thing at the beginning of a semester. So you are right. It, it's just weird. And I, I feel like it really is arbitrary or... Where does it take place? Where What city are we in? Peekskill, New York. Oh, so we're so about an hour north of Manhattan. <laughs> so there's no, which, by the way, would be outrageous. Any, anywhere an hour out of New York would be outrageously expensive. But <sighs> And I mean, yeah, but I mean, there's students at a prestigious, you know, girls boarding school and Langley College where Blair and Joe go uh, is an Ivy League school. So it's, it is she, she a little bit. Well, very, very, um, very fancy at Edie's Edibles. What was it? At- <laughs> Edna's edibles. Edna's edibles. <laughs> I imagine they're they're all getting high in the back at Edna's edibles. Is what's happening. I'm I'm, sh- I'm that sure that has been that has been brought up. That it's yeah. You'll enjoy it more if you think of it as a drug front. It's Absolutely, the, the only way to get through the damn episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so there's no Christmas. But the interesting thing is the the overarching thing of the episode is the girls shirking their duties and letting Mrs. Garrett down. Yes. I'm trying to think. I think I might have really, really hated the girls if this was the fourth episode of this season with the store being brand new, with our show being brand new. I would be like, what the fuck? She is, she, she did everything for you at Eastland. At, yes. the, at the boarding school. And now she's giving you a place to live. Joe would not be able to go to college if she didn't have this arrangement with Mrs. Garrett. Joe was going to have to drop out of school. 
And the others were just kind of brought along to keep the team together. But it's like what ingrates they are for not being focused on this brand new business that their former mentor and now friend is trying to make her life into. It's just... And the jobs that they... That, that they neglect are such minor jobs. Oh like Blair God. needs to put a sign above the refrigerator really? or the, above the door that says leave unlocked during business hours. And I then um, Tootie just has to clean out the bugs in the fridge. That's it. <laughs> that's all that's she it. had to do. I mean, that's it. Yeah. It's not like it's this huge to-do list and divvy it up among yourselves. It's... There's those two jobs. And then um, the the you know, Miss Popularity has to bag the pasta and then um, the the lesbian has to move the fridge. <laughs> you have the upper body strength. <laughs> Feel free to join me anytime if you are so inspired to do your bad Mrs. Garrett impression. Girls, girls. That's all I can do. And I don't even think that's good. I don't even think that. Well, uh, that, that could time. have been the Kool-Aid guy at that point. Uh, that point. <laughs> so the episode is in the store and Mrs. Garrett's on the phone to the health inspector and she's so nervous and she's like, uh, so could you maybe tell me when the surprise inspection's going to happen? And she has these forms that she had to fill out and mail back, but the forms also are supposedly the rule book of things she needs to have in place that the inspector will expect to see. So it's it's pretty straightforward. And again, it's a brand new store. We now know it hasn't even been open a week as of the <laughs> taping. Or right now, you could say it's been open for, what, 11 weeks because it wasn't open the first two. I just think it's interesting that those are the four jobs that needed to be done, and that cost Mrs. Lovitz five hundred dollars in fines because those four <laughs> things didn't get done. And he even yes. says your paperwork was fine, and I would have come in seven months from now, but you put fifteen dollars in the envelope mm -hmm. as a bribe, and how dare you not give me fifty? Fifteen dollars would only buy me lunch without a yeah. beverage. <laughs> And if, yes, it's so bizarre. It's uh, so weird because as Mrs. Garrett is running around with this list of things that she knows need to be done for when the health inspector comes, she needs Tootie to clean out the fridge, including a science experiment that she's doing where she has got fruit flies in a jar. Natalie's thing is that she is... Um, well, well, let's do it this way. We're going to we're going to cover each of them has a task and a distraction like cookie cutter. Yes. Here. So Tootie, her task, clean out the fridge. Her distraction, this science experiment. Natalie's task, that the barrels, the display of barrels in the store, they need to be lined with plastic bags so that no bugs can get in there. Uh, and uh, Natalie's distraction is she is running for this ridiculous title of Miss School Spirit. And it makes absolutely no fucking sense. I, I don't get it. Okay, you say um, that, but I won Miss School Spirit in 2001. So there. You did not. I did not. <laughs> okay. I but you believed say, it. Wow. You believed it. No, I, I was the high school dyke. So I was moving the fridge. And I was distracted <laughs> by a chain letter, unfortunately. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I got voted, yeah, most likely to be a homosexual. Um, <laughs> they walked anyway. in on you, changing in the gym showers. Yeah, the struggle is real. Puberty, gay in the 80s, not fun. We don't go there. Um, so uh, Blair's thing is she they need to have a sign above the door that says, this door to remain unlocked during business hours. And Blair keeps saying she's working on it, she's working on it, she's working on it. But Blair's distraction is... A passport photo! Oh, that's right! She's getting her passport renewed and she is agonizing about what to wear because 10 years down the road, when the passport expires, she doesn't want to have some type of blouse on that's out of style. And it's like, girl, get the fuck over yourself. Jesus. But also how, and then even at one point, Mrs. Lovitz says to her, just go <laughs> to the hardware store and buy the sign. And she didn't even do that. No, that's crazy. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this to correct you. It's Mrs. Lovett, singular, not Lovitz. <laughs> But it's actually Mrs. Garrett. <laughs> I'm just being but, stupid. I know, but the fact you're calling her Mrs. Lovitz, I'm thinking of, uh, well, John. hey there. I didn't bake that person in the pie. Uh, <laughs> I uh, sent him off to Australia. Yeah, that's the ticket. <laughs> I'm thinking of John Lovitz in drag, looking like Angela Lansbury. I feel and... like I've done my job. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. Anywho, um, so that's it. And Joe's thing is check the fridge thermostat and they have to move the fridge because it's too close to the heater or something like that. It's like you say, she needs the, how shall I say, strong woman (laughs) to do the heavy lifting. What was her distraction, though? Just the chain letter? I don't remember. The chain letter. And we haven't even gotten to the chain letter now. But uh, Mrs. Garrett goes to meet with, oh, speaking of Mrs. Lovitz, uh, she goes to meet with a client about catering a bar mitzvah. So when Mrs. Garrett is out of the store and gone, uh, the mail arrives. And Tootie is very excited because there's a chain letter there. And all three of the others get this letter, but not Tootie, because Tootie sent it. And it's just a lucky chain of gold. And it's one of those awful letters of, don't break the chain. A woman in Tunisia broke the chain and all of her toenails fell out. I type did- of didn't it was a poodle that died yeah i'm i'm making it up i'm i'm completely paraphrasing but it was one of those don't break the chain of luck it was not a money chain letter correct no there was money involved which is how the 15 dollars got put into the i inspection i feel like that's paperwork. something that joe added i feel like because there because there wasn't money in it when you get a chain letter there should be money in it, isn't there? Or I is don't, it after you send uh, it? Well, here's a good, let's 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 back up here. Have you ever done a chain letter? Ben? In seventh grade, I got a chain letter and the girl that had a crush on me wrote all of them out for me so I could <gasps> break the chain. You had an accomplice. Did you get money? Was it a money chain letter? No, we were in seventh grade. None of us had money. <laughs> okay. I have to admit, I don't fully understand how chain letters work. I feel like it's it's a form letter. You know, the fact that Joe was spending so much time typing these chain letters when I'm yes, like with two fingers, by the way, it was click, uh, click, 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 yeah. click, click. 
Yeah, well, Joe's index fingers are very, very well exercised. Yes, uh, they are. <laughs> like machine guns. <laughs> she actually, that's how she moved the fridge, by the way, when she finally got with, it back into place, just with her two fingers. <laughs> but the thing is, it's like, oh, uh, hello, I know you don't have a, you know, multifunction printer, scanner, copier, fax in your home like we do nowadays, but... At the same time, you live in a college town. There's a fucking copy shop somewhere where you can go and pay a nickel to have a photocopy made. What the fuck? And shirking your duties that Mrs. Garrett is freaking out about. But then, so like part of it is like this is a shitty episode and none of it really like Mm -hmm. adds up. But then also those like shitty components also make the episode because she's typing it out next to the paperwork. She slips the $15 that should have gone in the chain letter and it accidentally goes into the inspection paperwork. And so the inspector thinks that $15 is a bribe. And so he comes early. Yeah, that's That's the contrivance of it is that, yeah, the paperwork uh, is mixed up with the chain letters. And that's why accidentally... The health inspector thinks that Mrs. Garrett sent it along as a bribe. Um, Would you call this show a comedy? Is this show a comedy? Situation comedy, absolutely. Because I didn't find any of the things we just talked about funny (laughs) except for – I mean, I may have chuckled a bit at the inspector because I thought he was kind of funny. Well, they were like running jokes. And, you know, Tootie has this this science obsession with the fruit flies are in a jar because uh, fruit flies are a very good learning tool for dominant and recessive traits in biology. And that's true. I actually do remember we didn't do an experiment like this. Yeah, so she was obsessed with short wings, long wings, red eyes, black eyes. It has something to do with the fact that the traits are easily noticeable and and they multiply fast enough that you can get you don't have to wait too long to get the results. But you're right. It it is a bit that keeps coming up and the very last bit the inspector comes in and says, "And there was a thing, a dead fruit flies in the fridge." And she goes, "Were the eyes black or red?" <laughs> Were the wings long or short? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, I get it. You're beating this joke and it's it wasn't funny yeah. the first time. It wasn't funny the second time. And it's still not funny now, Bob and Bob. Yeah. I mean, it was okay. It was fine. And um, anyway, so what we've actually done is we've synopsized for the most part the first half of the show. We end the act with Mrs. Garrett having to deal with this health inspector. Are you ready? And Mrs. Garrett says... Not really. And he says, good, let's start. Dum, 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 fade to black. And one other thing I have to mention, uh, nothing is more apparent that this is episode four than when you look at the blocking of the scene where Joe is typing on the typewriter on the coffee table. This is a new set. We only had this set first appear the week before. So this is literally the second time they're taping and using this set, it used to be the Eastland School, and they are blocked so oddly. Blair, when she comes in the room, comes in the door that is downstage of the fireplace, closest to the audience. That is a door that we do not see 90% of the time, and you don't know what it leads to. It doesn't make any sense in the architecture of the house. So that's weird. Then Tootie and Natalie 
enter the house from the French doors, which are at the very, very back of the set. And like I said before, Tootie leaves the door open. So we have French doors wide open, theoretically in the middle of wintertime. But the fact that they come in there, uh, where has nobody entered this house? The front door. And down the road, they use the front door. And you I don't think you ever see anybody use these other doors again. But it it's, has such a sense of them feeling their way. It's like, let's, well, let's see what it looks like if someone comes in that door. Let's see how it is there. And, and then it continues when they're inside. Because, yeah, you get someone sitting at the dining room table. Joe is at the coffee table. Uh, but at one point, Blair is sitting on the hardback chair in the little nook next to the bookcase that is between the front door and the fireplace. And the chair really more looks like it's there for decoration than for sitting. But Blair's just sitting there in this little nook. I think she's reading. I'm not sure. And at one point when Mrs. Garrett comes in and the girls are all occupied and she's kind of like, uh, Hi, do any of you fucking work here? Tootie is standing at the bottom of the stairs, the bottom landing outside of the stairs, with her textbook balanced on the bottom post of the railings of the stairs. She's standing, balancing her textbook on it. And it is just so odd. Like, if you gave them all purpose or reasoning behind entrances and exits, maybe it would feel more comfortable. I... Well, be completely frank, I didn't notice any of that. Yeah. I was I didn't catch any of that. And I don't remember the show so much so that I wouldn't even have known that this isn't how the show is always done that they're not yeah. in this. Well, it does settle down, but this is clearly a you, you imagine one of those those heady directors of like I'm not going to block you. I just want you to explore the space and see how it feels. And, and maybe that's what happened here. And then the director said, okay, well, that didn't work, did it? Because in the future, people come and go through the front door. When you need to sit down, you're either sitting on the couch or you're at the dining room table, period. But it's like somebody's like, oh, my God, a new set. Why don't you use the French doors? And don't yeah. shut it because you're so comfortable in, in Mrs. Lovett's house. Yeah. <laughs> so we are at the commercial before uh, we find out what happens with Mrs. Lovitz and the health inspector, I'd like to take a time and do a little bit of interviewing of my guests and get to know you and introduce you to my tens of listeners. Oh, my word. I feel so naked. Uh -huh. I know, and I can speak for myself, but I know actors typically hate talking about themselves. But Well, you're wrong with me, baby. Let's do it. <laughs> so... Um, uh, let's, let's do a little bit of a, a quick travelogue through your life and your career. And, uh, let me start by asking Ben, where were you born? I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. And that's where you also grew up? Grew up in South Jersey. And then my dad, when I was bar mitzvahed, lost his job and we relocated to Allentown. Mm -hmm. And I did four years in Allentown. I went to college in Wilkes-Barre, which is in the Poconos, four years in Wilkes-Barre, I did uh, summer stock all four summers of college, and then I got my car doing summer stock, and then did some minor things, tried the New York thing, and Disney called me 
pretty much right out of college, and I've been down here in Orlando fresh out of college ever since. Wow. And now here in Orlando, you've been a, a full-time actor at Disney for how long now have you been with the mouse? 15, 15 years. Wow. And I wrote a stand-up act and started producing my own show. And we have hit about $100,000 in ticket sales and insanely popular this show became. And what is the title of the show? It's called How You Been. Aha! I see what you did there. I have no problem in spelling out what I want from my crowd, and they have been absolutely amazing to take what I give them. Mm -hmm. And speaking of your crowd, you do have quite the crowd of Instagram followers. Holy crap. The Instagram community has been absolutely fantastic and has allowed me to branch off and do many, many other creative opportunities, especially when it comes to online content. I started a show called Any Schmuck Can Cook, and it is a cooking show that follows the life of a non-cook in the kitchen who has lost his nanny due to COVID and has been forced to teach himself how to cook. Oh, so autobiographical. Yes. <laughs> so speaking of nanny, you are you are a, a Sadie, Sadie married lady. Yes, we got married in 2015 and we adopted a brand new baby girl in 2017 and she is turning three at the end of the month. Oh my God. And I'm glad you got her new, the used ones. Not as fun. Well, not as nice. We fell in love with a, a pregnant woman, fell in love with us, and we fell in love with her, and we now are raising her baby. That's amazing. Yes. When I worked with you, you and I met doing a, an amazingly fun production of Forbidden Broadway at the Winter Park Playhouse. That was 2014. That's, wow. That was six so years six ago. Six years ago. Yeah. I was 400 pounds. You were the fat guy back then, and I still look at you and say, I hope it's not offensive that I call you that, the fat guy. No, I but, was. Yeah, and that's, but that was your type. That's the, particularly as actors, that was, you know, the way you were cast. That was part of your persona. Yeah, when and, I went to a callback, everybody in the room was fat. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's just true. Yeah. My very, my very first New York Broadway callback was the weirdest thing ever because I walked in and everybody looked like me and it was like, straight out of a movie like this is fucking creepy <laughs> so um but yeah you decided at some point that uh you were going to change some lifestyle habits and you are quite slender and svelte these days thank you listen you have a baby and you realize that you may not always be there for that child and that child depends on you immensely and so i just I said, I got to get my shit together. And I did. And I lost 140 pounds and I've kept it off for two years. Bravo. But oh my God, doing Forbidden Broadway with you, with uh, Heather Kopp and with Alyssa Yost, it was just, and Roy Allen directing, it was just a dream show. It was a dream role and a dream cast. It was a, a good cast. It was a good creative team. We were sold out every show. <sighs> and we we loved each other so much that they didn't even have a costume change artist backstage. We did everything for each other. Yeah. Oh, well, it was such a fun time. It was great. I hope we get to do another show together again 
sometime. I'll, I'll, I'll just settle for seeing you in person. That would be a lovely thing. Uh, but now, Ben Petashinsky. Yes. yes. Enough about you. We have to get back to the facts of life and find out what happens with the health inspector. Poor Mrs. Lovitz. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. So we, and we never found out if she got to cater the bar mitzvah. I wonder. Oh, no, I think they did because I remember the scene. They were all bringing oh. out the food. Oh, you're right. They were, they were packing up for a catering gig when he shows up. He's like, yes. I'm here to inspect. And they're like, we're fucking busy. Go, go suck a dick. <laughs> uh, I'm paraphrasing. They were so um, rude to him. But then, yeah, the thing. So anyhow, um, so let's get back from commercial. And before we go on, you had asked this earlier, and I silenced you so that we could wait for him to make his grand entrance. The health inspector is Mr. Stevens, and he is played by character actor Peter Hobbs. Uh, he has far too many credits to go into, but he has 154 credits that date all the way back to 1948. Oh, my word. So uh, we've had other character actors like this on the show. We're talking literally the dawn of television, when television was still just a new thing starting out. 1948 is very Whoa. early. He is excellent on the show. He is marvelous as being... Um, he's he's very much a ball buster, but then laughs. Like there's a, ooh, I like him, I hate him kind of a thing going on. 100%. And he doesn't close the restaurant down. You no. don't hate him. He's just a man doing his job. Yeah. I did laugh at one of his lines. I will tell you when he said about the bribe and the $15 and that wouldn't even buy me lunch Yeah, with a, with a beverage, I laughed at that. Yes. I will say it, it gave me a flashback to I didn't look up what the money equivalent was. Of $15, I probably should have. I usually do on the show, but fuck it. Uh, what it flashed me back to is I remember when I was in high school, probably, you know, like 85, like maybe a year or so after this. I remember my favorite thing was the new offering at Burger King. It was the chicken Parmesan sandwich <laughs> with, I think, a large fries and a large drink, which nowadays is a small fry and a small drink. <laughs> I believe it was $4.23. And that was an expensive fast food meal. And that didn't include the Pepto-Bismol. No, <laughs> or the heart pump, yeah. But um, for some reason, that is a number that sticks in my brain from my teen years, that uh, the one of the most expensive fast food meals was almost four and a quarter you know i remember when i was a kid and i went to go fill my gas tank i could do it with a ten dollar bill mm. so i was 16 in 98 99 wow. so i could fill my tank for 10 bucks that is crazy what the inspection comes down to is uh he comes out and he finds the fruit flies and the fridge isn't moved and there's no sign over the door and there's no liners in the buckets. Everything Mrs. Garrett asked the girls to do was not did and therefore they're infractions and we're looking at a $500 fine. And off he goes and Mrs. Garrett is justifiably pissed. 
I mean, of course she's pissed because that is like 125 of those Parmesan sandwiches at Burger King. (laughs) And you know that bitch ate those Parmesan sandwiches at Burger King. (laughs) And the drive-thrus were very new, but you could do it and not even leave your car. Ah, so... Mrs. Garrett has to make a difficult decision, and I think she plays this scene wonderfully. When she's not, like, shrieking and, Girls, I just need things done! And uh, with the hands gesturing over her head! And when she's not doing that stuff, she is, she's magnificent. And this was where she says, You know, I think I made a mistake. You all are too young, and you don't understand that it this is a business and the girl's like eh no big deal they're trying to write it off and we can help you with that fine because of all the chain letter money and oh we started talking earlier about chain letters and stuff so my recollection of what a chain letter is is that you write a letter okay you receive a letter and there are 10 addresses on it names and addresses and i believe it says what you do is you take and you send a dollar in the envelope to each of these addresses. And then you have to photocopy the letter, but remove the top address and add yours to the bottom. And then send that to 10 people. And then those 10 people send it to another 10 people and your name moves up one. So it's kind of like a pyramid scheme where each each level you go you are increasing how much money you're getting exponentially that ten dollar income you can create um i've never done it and like i say i i don't fully understand it and to me it's weird it's a different time but nowadays you wouldn't send out a letter to strangers and say oh here's my name and address here's how i'm easily traceable and you can find me while I'm doing this illegal activity, because they are illegal. All for a, a fucking dollar. <laughs> for Yeah. Well, no, but the idea is that, like I said, it's a dollar, and then the next wave, you send it to 10 people. But nobody's fucking doing it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. But, I mean, if people do do it, and that's where the, the luck comes, well, if you break this chain, you're going to have bad luck. Anyway. So then tell me, how do people sell Monet? Because I feel like that's the same system you're describing. I don't know what that is. What is it? Oh, it's a pyramid scheme hair product. Oh, okay. And so Mrs. Garrett says she has to make the difficult decision of, uh, she says, I'm going to have to hire some responsible adults. And so the girl's like, so are you saying we're fired? And Mrs. Garrett's words are, this is my business, and I'm making a business decision. I'm going to be putting an ad in the paper. And she walks out. Now, we have just, theoretically, two weeks before, established what this whole circumstances of this show, including the fact that Joe has to work there, or she loses her scholarship, or, or Joe... Joe has to work there to supplement her scholarship or she can't be in college. So the fact that it's like you're you're firing them, but they're living with you. Part of the arrangement is the living. So why those 
why that didn't come up in the course of, but if we don't work here, we shouldn't, we, we, we can't live here either, can we? And she could have said, mm-hmm, that's what fucking happens. That's called consequences, bitches. And I think that's why that scene was so real and authentic, because that's where it could have gone. Yeah. Otherwise, it, it wasn't anywhere near as foppish as the rest of the episode. Yeah, and I, I I would have been okay if they had been a little more explicit at laying that out. Anyway, the next scene, this is where we get into, you feel like we have seen this a million times before. Mrs. Garrett's on the phone, and she's like, yes, Mrs. Exposition, I've had <laughs> such response to the ads, I'm no longer taking applicants. Bye, click. And uh, then the girls all come in, dressed in their finest 1980s dressy up i guess business clothing is what it was like jc penny jerked off on their faces <laughs> no they're teenagers some of them well um, not not joe not blair and joe no uh <laughs> so the deal is what what is happening here big surprise we've come to apply for the position and then there's this whole thing of talking in the third person as opposed to the second person. So, really? Well, why were you let go from your previous job? Well, we screwed up because we weren't paying attention and we deserved it, but it won't happen again. And, uh, you know, oh, look at who is this reference. Oh, yeah, the reference is Edna's Edibles. And um, uh, she's a wonderful boss. And all this roundabout talking where it's just... Yeah, the girls are fucking apologizing and Mrs. Garrett's going to keep them there. We know that's going to happen. And and but we need we need 35 more seconds, so we're going to say it this way. Ugh. And you know, it's the the one thing that does kind of make it work ish is as they've done this, you know, and they give all the same spiels. Yeah, you trusted us. Joe says, you trusted us and we let you down. And she does say, and there's no excuse for it. That's good. When someone does say there is no excuse, we can make excuses, but there's no excuse. Mrs. Garrett does say, well, you sound more mature and responsible than the girls who used to work here. We're still playing the fucking bit. All right. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And then the phone rings, just as they're sort of leaving, like, well, I'll let you know. And as they're leaving, the phone rings. Hello? Oh, you saw the ad? Well, I'm afraid the position has already been filled. Oh, it's okay. She's taking them back. I was so worried. I was so worried. Weren't you worried, Ben? Anytime I hear the words, the position has been filled, I think of Mrs. Doubtfire every time. Oh, do when, you? When Robin Williams is calling um, yeah. uh, Sally Fields as mm -hmm. all the different housekeepers. I am Job. The position has been filled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's so brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. <clears throat> it's just, It's just awesome. And uh, when you say the position has already been filled, I thought you were going to say Mary Poppins. Oh, if you recall, yes. When Mary Poppins uh, has all the nanny applicants blown away. Yes. When Mr. Banks hires her, he says to Katie Nana, go tell the others the position's been filled. And Hermione badly opens up the door and only the dog is there. 
<laughs> and the yeah. wonderful thing. I love that they made Mary Poppins a cunt. Like, if you want, if you <laughs> like, where did these women go? They were just blown away. You never see they, where they went. They probably they're all dead. <laughs> you ain't taking my job, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mary Poppins returns. It should have been the other nanny's return to take come out to their kill revenge. Mary Poppins. <laughs> totally, that should have been it. Uh, when you saw Mary Poppins returns and Dick Van Dyke makes his entrance, did you get emotional? Mm. I did too. Mm. I cried my eyes out. It was a beautiful moment in a film when, that I thought was mediocre. I I liked the film a lot. You know what movie I loved? Saving Mr. Banks. Oh, I've seen that one a hundred times. Uh, that is the one uh, when you go on a Disney cruise, any stateroom you can watch whatever Disney movie. That was the original Disney Plus with the stateroom uh-huh. televisions on the Disney cruise. And I have watched that film on every Disney cruise and I've watched it so many times. It's it's just devastating in the She's best possible. She's so good. Tom Hanks is so good. I think... Colin Farrell. Oh, so is good. so underrated because of all of the hype of Tom Hanks is playing Disney. Holy shit. That got all the attention. I'm like, Colin Farrell is extraordinary. Like that yes. he literally had the most difficult yes. acting job, I think. Really. I think, and too, now as <clears throat> a fa- a father, I completely like my heart is just right there. And every time I watch it, something new has been discovered in my life. And so it's always new, a new film to me. Yeah. I need to watch it again. I do. Well, Ben, we are at the end of the show. We and did before, it. We did it. We've solved all the problems of all the sitcoms. But before I send you on your way, the last thing I do like to ask is, would you please share with us, completely off the top of your head, uh, a commercial that you loved when you were a kid? Or just oh, some type of a, word. a jingle a or a product that was important to you? Uh, a commercial when I was a kid. Or even a contemporary commercial. Oh, but um, uh, Crossfire! You'll get caught up in the crossfire. Crossfire! 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 I believe you are the second, if not, that might be the third time someone's brought that up. Oh, man. And that's completely off of my radar. I'm too old for that. But it's funny how that was clearly a, a, an influential commercial. That was there a was big one. There was also one with a little, a, like a doll, and it was like, my, my little, my little buddy. The, my a little... doll. Oh, my buddy. My yes, buddy. buddy. Yeah. And my buddy, my buddy and me. Kid sister. Yeah. Yes. That, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, sure. That's another one. Yeah. So but we bought it. I mean, I remember, well, we didn't buy it. The neighbors bought it. Growing up a Jewish kid in South Jersey, my parents didn't buy anything. Oh. We didn't, we didn't have toys. <laughs> Nothing. I was lucky that we were allowed to go outside. <laughs> oh, bless. Uh, ben, it has been so much fun talking to you, and thank you so much for being on the show and for giving me this little bit of time. I know that daddy time when you are full-time daycare provider is... It's intense. Is- it's intense. But honest to God, and I'm not just saying this because pe- you know you, you are telling me people are listening to this, but I this has been the best four months of my life because I have connected with her on oh. a different 
almost spiritual level. We are just like yin and yang. And also, again, you know, it's like I'm my own boss, creating my own content and here with my kid. It's been great for us. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, yeah, I've been I've been adjusting a lot better than I would have thought. Ben, my love, thank you so much. Please say hello to your wonderful husband, Aaron. And what's your daughter's name? Charlotte. Charlotte. Named uh, after my husband's grandmother. And then, of course, her middle name, which she's going to kill me in a few years, named after my grandmother, Rivka. Rivka. R-Y-W-K-A. Rivka. Wow. Yes. That's a, that's a name with some character. Oh, that's it gets sure. worse. It's my last name and my husband's last name. So she's Charlotte Rifka Tashinsky Skinner. Yes. Yeah. So when she grows up to become an actress, watch for Jane Doe on the marquee. Yes. What, what's the line from the producers? Oh, oh, yeah. We, we think we'll probably see her name up in lights if they can find enough bulbs <laughs> for Ula. Yes, that's right. Well, Ben, darling, it has been awesome. Thank you again for doing this. I hope we're able to do it again soon. And Thank you, love. smooches and goodbye. All right. Bye, bye, bye. And there you have it. That was Ben Petashinsky. And his daughter named Charlotte. Yeah. Does he really think we are going to believe that cock and bull story that she's named after his husband's grandmother? Nuh-uh. We know she was named after Charlotte Ray. Sorry, Ben. See right through you there. Anyway, a couple of corrections uh, and additions here before I send you on your way. First thing is we questioned whether or not they had gotten the bar mitzvah to cater and they were talking about the food that they were packing up when the health inspector showed up. And that food was not for the bar mitzvah. That food was for some sort of a square dance happening at the local moose lodge. So apparently they did not book that bar mitzvah. Too bad. Secondly, I did do the money conversion I said I wasn't going to do. $15, the amount of the bribe, that translates into $40 in 2020 terms. And... The $50, which was the health inspector's serving suggestion if one does want to bribe a health inspector, that translates to $133.57. So now you know what the modern day going rate is for bribing a health inspector. Uh, next, I did uh, screw up a Mary Poppins reference. <laughs> Turn in my pink card here. I mentioned that Katie Nana walks out the door and says the position has been filled to just the dog. And that's not Katie Nana. That's Ellen. Ellen, the maid, played by the wonderful Hermione Badley. Katie Nana is the Elsa Lanchester role at the very, very beginning and she is the one who quits and necessitates the bank's family having to hire a new nanny, hence Mary Poppins. Anyhow, I think that covers all my bases. Next week, I'm going to be watching Season 5, Episode 14, called Next Door. And I'm going to have another special guest, an amazing actress friend of mine named Ginger Lee McDermott. You can watch the episode for free at dailymotion.com. I'll post the link to the show notes, and you can find it also on this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, 
the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle Face the Facts Pod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash face the facts pod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs>